Hasn't it been said before that if you can find a job that seems like playtime, then you've got the, the best job in the world, right? Yeah, some of us are thinking, yeah, I picked the wrong thing, right? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, there you go, you know. Some things you have to drudge through, but uh, there can be enjoyment even in some mundane things. But nonetheless, this morning I want to look at a passage of Scripture from Matthew. This is the Gospel according to Matthew. And you'll, you'll do well to remember that, you know, we have four pictures of Jesus, four clear pictures, four clear Gospels of His life. Not just one account, not just one eyewitness. Uh, that we could say, eh, he's erroneous, he's, he's in error, not trustworthy. But instead we have four accounts, and, and, and in many respects, they're different accounts. There's things that are different in the story. Some people drop off. Uh, Matthew adds a couple people to several of his stories. You're thinking, I thought there was only one demoniac in, in Mark. Well, there is, that's mentioned, but that doesn't mean another guy wasn't present. Matthew tells us there was another one. That was actually two demon-possessed men. So Matthew has his own perspective of Jesus' ministry. He was there. He saw it happen. He was actually one of the twelve disciples. You remember he's actually a tax collector by trade, which was a despised position, not just in the world today, but it was a despised position because primarily you worked for the Romans. You were a traitor. I mean, you were a traitor. Not only did you collect people's taxes, which hurts, but you were also a cheat. So a traitor, a cheat, and Jesus calls this kind of person to follow Him. Now, the other Gospel writers, they call Him Levi. Here He Himself calls Himself Matthew. Uh, probably a more humble name than Levi. Levi is connected to the priesthood. Uh, very rich in Jewish history, but He probably saw Himself uh, less than that. And, and here, I want to read to you the call of Matthew, because there's more than just a call here. Notice these words. As Jesus passed on, this is Matthew 9 and 9. As Jesus passed on from there, He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and He said to him, Follow Me. And He rose and followed Him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and His disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to His disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he had heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go learn what this means. Quote, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your holy Word. May Your Holy Spirit apply it to our hearts to make us holy today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you'll notice, uh, just as far as a little background here on Matthew, that, that there's really three controversies that happen back to back to back. So, Jesus heals a paralytic, and the scribes who were the teachers of the law different than the Pharisees. They taught the law. They get upset because, well, Jesus kind of claims to be God, which makes them very upset in the Jewish world. There's only one God, and therefore you don't go claiming to be that God. And so the scribes who are the teachers of the law, they actually get upset in the first part of chapter 9. Now you get this call of Matthew where the Pharisees get upset and ultimately have a controversy here. But then you have another group of people coming 
uh, right here in 14 through 17 who come who are John's disciples. John the Baptist, you'll remember. He had disciples and there was a hard transition going from John who was this great preacher, great prophet, cousin of Jesus, prepared the way, and then it was tough to make that switch. And so they're asking, look, why do your disciples not fast, yet John taught us to fast? Of course, Jesus' answer is, well, when the, when the groom is still here, you don't fast. You know, before the wedding, that's not the time to be fast, that's time for feasting. There'll be a time when the groom is gone, and it'll be time for fasting, but not now. So you have kind of these three groups of people that come, and Matthew puts his personal call right in the middle, kind of sandwiches it between these controversial groups of people who are coming to Jesus not understanding Him. And yet Matthew's call is very short, notice. It's really one verse. Uh, you'd expect a little more. I mean, if we were writing, I would say, man, I was really struggling there at the tax booth. You know, should I leave everything? Should I drop this good money and this good security and this good job? You know, blah, blah. And I would, I would try to set up a, a situation where I really more or less talk about myself. And Matthew says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give you the bare facts. Now, in the ancient world too, when they wrote, they didn't, there was no, what we call in the academic world, there was no fluff. So when you write a paper, some people, because they're trying to get to page 8, and they're at 6, they fluff for two pages, right? Just give a bunch of nonsense. There's no nonsense in ancient writings because, quite frankly, they didn't have the tools and utensils and writing stuff to, um, to be able to waste time and space. So he gives us a very bare calling. Note it, I mean, just, just two words, follow me. He rose and followed. Just like that. Now what does that show to us? It shows Jesus' authority. Which is truly one of, one of Matthew's purposes in his, in his perspective of the Gospel is that we need to understand, again, he wrote this to teach us. And, and at the beginning of his Gospel, let me just show you uh, my point here, is at the beginning of his Gospel, he says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why are those two people important? Son of David, he's king. He's the king premier. Abraham, Jewish people. So what is, what is Matthew trying to do? What is his purpose here? He's trying to show us that Jesus is the King of the Jews. He's the promised Messiah and He has authority. He has authority to call people to His service, call people to His work. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about this passage, but then I'm going to interject some experiences from India. Now here's one that God reminded me in, in my time there is that His calling, and we talked about this two weeks ago when I, was, when I was here, before I left, the day I left, is His calling always comes to us first and foremost as a calling to Himself. So when Jesus calls us, He's not just calling us to work for Him as if we were slaves, as if we were servants. Rather, He's calling us to be with Him. You have really three main images that push through the Bible, all through it, in various places. The first is the king, servant, king, peasant, whatever, you know, image in the Bible. God is king, we are His servants. We obey. And that's a pretty clear image. And some traditions in the Christian church hold that stronger than others. They, they really see God as sovereign and they focus on that. And that's where they leave it. Is he's sovereign and you better do what he says or you know, you know the other side of that. Then there's a deeper image than just king. It's father. We are his children. 
So this is developed in the Old Testament. It's pushed very clearly by Jesus, who tells us now we can actually approach God, not Holy Father or Holy Lord God, you know, this or that, but instead Father, Abba, Daddy. And he says, now we can pray, Father, our Father who art in heaven. And this is a deeper image, it's a more personal image than king. So we, in that scenario, we're children. We're his children. And that makes sense to us. But yeah, yeah, okay, we got... But there's a deeper image. There's a more pointed one. And that is, we are to actually be married to Jesus. He is the husband the groom, this is what he tells John's disciples. This is what is spoken of at the end of Revelation. The Bible begins with a marriage, it ends with marriage. And all throughout it protects marriage. The image of marriage even. This is God's image. He's the one who has ordained it. He created it. And it truly, as Paul tells us, he says, look, I'm talking about marriage, but I'm really talking about the relationship of Christ and His bride who is the church. And at the end of Revelation... Uh, the next to last chapter, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, Lord Jesus. The Spirit who helps lead the church, point us to Jesus, lives in us, says, Come, Lord Jesus, so that we can consummate this marriage. This marriage of heaven and earth. This marriage of God and humanity. Truly, it's already seen in the person of Jesus Christ who takes on flesh for us, who prepares the way for us, who makes it possible for us. And this is truly what a husband is to be. First in. First to prepare. To make the move first. This is not some kind of chauvinistic play. This is God's own design. You go look up the term husband. It's a caregiver. Tender of a vineyard is called a husbandman. Same word. You tend the field. You make it possible for others to produce fruit in their life. That's what a true husband looks like. Not one that demands. Not one that is a dictator. Not one that is king over his house. But rather makes the lives of others more fruitful. God in Jesus Christ is our husband. We are all the female in this relationship because we receive from Him. We're not the giver. We're not the one from the outside coming in, but rather the one who receives Him. We did not design this thing. This is bigger than us. This is outside of our control. And already He has made preparations to be with us forever. And so the deepest image we have in Scripture... It's a marriage. So what I'm saying is when he says, follow me, it's like a proposal. And many of us have ignored that proposal. Now, I use it, maybe overuse it, but when I dropped to one knee uh, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, um, (laughs) 10 years is when I was married, so you have to back it up a little bit. Um, I dropped to one knee and I said, Jessica, will you marry me? I put her in a very difficult situation because no matter what she did in that moment was going to be an answer. If she was silent, that's an answer. If she ignored me, that's an answer. Not a good one. If she said no, that was an answer. She said yes, thankfully. And here we are today, ten years later. So, 
What's your answer to Jesus? The reality is you've already answered Him this past week. It was an answer. His call goes out constantly to be faithful to Him. And yet we run to other lovers, don't we? Isn't this what Hosea says? The Bible, you say, man, this is kind of graphic. Okay, this is God's image. It's not mine. You know, we sent the kids away, so now we're rated R. The Bible can get graphic. I don't know, have you ever read Hosea? Go marry a prostitute. Okay, why? Because I want to show you what your relationship with me looks like. You cheat on me. I give you everything you need. I take you in when you're nothing, and yet you run after other lovers, other gods. You set other things up as premier and not me. You want to leave. You're always looking for opportunities to leave, to ignore me, to reject me. That's why, Hosea. It's a graphic image. And Ezekiel picks it up as well. Why do you go around whoring on God? Is what he asks them. In the Hebrew, it gets even more graphic, but I won't go there. It's enough to say it as it is and to tell you that we should not cheat on God. He is our husband. He has provided you with your life. He has given us everything that we need. Truly, our prayer should be, I shall not want. And yet many times in my own life, I want. And so while in India, Jesus reaffirmed to me that He wants me before He wants work from me. This is something you have to be reminded of in marriage, isn't it? I mean, we can get to going with working the kids, working, you know, all right, what's next? You know, it's all business. And next thing you know, you've spent 10 years of your life and you haven't really ever talked to each other. You've not slowed down enough to hear the other person and you drift away. It's the same thing with God because it is a marriage. It must be kept up. There must be work. There must be investment. You must take the time. Time is all you have. It is your life. So what do we give our time to? What do we give our life to? It must be Jesus. It's the simplest message, and yes, it's the most complicated. Because we complicate it because of sin. This morning, when I woke up, early morning, went outside, and it was very foggy. I couldn't even see a couple houses that I normally can see in my neighborhood. And I was reminded of an image that one of my professors gave, and that is, sin is like fog. It descends on our life very slowly. You can't even really see that it's there, and it's really nothing. It's, I mean, you know, you just cut, the, I mean, you, you can't feel it, and you can't, you don't run into it, but it blocks things out of your life. You can't see 20 yards in front of you. It descends on us and remains to where we can't see what is important. And for some of us, it's really like, you know, we've described it before in here. It's the war. And they talk about the fog of war. It's the same idea. We get, we get enmeshed in the battle and then we forget what is important. And we look around and we have not been with Jesus Christ. And so I just want to confess to you that I want to be with Jesus Christ more. Not just work for Him more. I'm saying as your pastor that I want to be with Jesus. His first call is follow me. Not my work. Not my mission. 
Not my great commission. He gives the great commission last. Why? Because he first has to teach them to be with him. That's what's most important. And some of us want to skip ahead, just do the work, and say, okay, I got that done. You okay with that now? We view it as, a, as, as some kind of business. This is not business. This is a marriage. Marriage looks very different than business. You've got to run a business, I mean a marriage like a business, that's going to be a disaster. That merger's not going to work. It's more than that. It's love. It's love, and yet even that has become fog for us. We don't know what that means anymore. We can't see what love is. Love is sacrifice. The greatest love was Jesus on the cross. Bloodied, beaten, spat upon, naked, ashamed. That's love. But it sure doesn't look like our kind of love toward each other, does it? I'm talking to myself. When I say I love you, when I say I love you all, that's not what I have in mind. And yet, it's at the heart of God. The Scripture says He was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? That means the picture of Jesus on the cross is not some temporary thing. That's who He is. He sacrifices. He gets down on His knees and washes our feet. Which is the second lesson I learned from India. Was being served by people who have less than me is the most humbling experience in the world. I wanted to crawl under the table to have some of the students and uh, two of the faculty members come every single day and feed me. All but literally putting it in my mouth. Preparing it. Putting it on my plate. You know, I tried to help put up stuff and they wouldn't let me. And they washed all my, you know, all my dirty dishes. Every single meal for 13 days. You know. Word, I, I still haven't processed that completely. But I saw Jesus in that. I saw Jesus in that. And yet many times I don't see Jesus in my own actions. With you. With my wife. With my kids. It's more business as normal. Now, you know, our context here is that business can eat you. That's an image, but it's a reality. In this town, business can own you. And own your children. Own your way of life. And I'm telling you, there's money here, and where there's money, there's power, you think. But that's not God's kind of power. The true power in the world comes from love. Amen. That's something that's backward at work. <laughs> you go tell that to your boss, that's not going to fly. But to our big boss, it does. And at the end of the day, he's all that matters. As my dad always says, you know, two seconds after you're dead, Jesus is the only thing that matters. What else does? Nothing. So, again, another correction for me is a servant's heart. And I hear Jesus calling in the, in the Scriptures that the leaders of Israel, the shepherds of Israel, did not serve My people. 
And so I'm working through ways that I can do that. Um, And I want you to be working through ways that you can do that for each other. We're a family. This is a family that God has ordained. He called this family out of nothing. It wasn't my doing. It wasn't my expertise. At the very beginning of this whole church plan, I told God, I I don't have the gifts. And He said, I know, that's why I'm going to use you. I said, well, it's going to be a disaster. And He said, well, you know what? That's all right. Wasn't Peter a disaster before I got a hold of him? Yeah. Okay then. And so we just say yes. Do I expect perfection from my children? No. I've learned with four boys, that's impossible. But you know what I look for is a heart of obedience. A heart of love from them. I don't want them to just do what I said because it's business. But instead, because they trust their dad. That's what warms my heart up. Is a heart of gratefulness. You know, I bring them back a little pencil with a little stupid light-up thing from India, you know. I didn't know what else to get them. I thought it was a pencil. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah, there you go. It's, it is a pen. There you go. And, and I bring this back, and Jackson writes this sweet little note. What, was it, what did he say? We got stuff from the other side of the world, and it was awesome. And it was awesome. You know, that kind of gratefulness for something very little is the kind of thing that I look for as a father to develop in my children. You know what? That's what God wants to develop in us. And sometimes we get this idea because of the fog of sin that we are in control, that we have to do it all, and we don't. He's here to help. And because we make so much money here, and people have such good lives here, even middle class, lower middle we have it made. It's unbelievable. The food, out of this world here. And we just eat and we consume and we buy and we do and we say we call it you know this is just kind of what we do here but i just wonder if jesus wants to do something more for you he does for me and he's corrected me on this because his first call is to me but then notice what happens here in this text is is immediately jesus goes to matthew's house it's an awesome story because Matthew converts and he's all his friends of course as tax collectors he obviously doesn't have any friends that are not because no one cares for him and there's much we could say, but, but here's, here's down again to bare bones this morning, for time's sake, is that Jesus uses this opportunity to share the gospel, to evangelize. And what are they doing? What are the, is, is He going out on some campaign? Is He knocking on... No, all he, he goes and eats with them. He just goes out to eat. How many of us during the week go out to eat with our coworkers, And yet we don't see it as an opportunity... To be a witness. Now again, you don't have, like I've said before, you don't have to be weird. You know, make the time weird. Um, just be yourself, but let Jesus permeate everything that you're doing. Amen. Be intentional. Just ask about them. Be normal, but ask about them. How's things going? Is there? I mean, there's only very few people in the world, and I think they're liars anyway, who would say that they don't want your prayers, even if they don't believe in God. If you were to say to somebody, I was thinking about you the other day, and I, I just I wondered if there is there anything I could pray about. Like, do you have anything that that you would want me to pray for? Listen, people are hurting. They cover it up, but they're hurting. When they hear that, that's a seed. Because because 
I'm not in control of this thing. The Holy Spirit is. So He's already working on the person. I just drop a seed and then somebody else will fill it all out. That's not even up to me. You don't have to keep badgering. I don't... One of my policies as a pastor, whether good or bad, is, is I don't badger people. You don't come to church, I'm not going to badger you. Come knock. Hey, worry. Come on. Come on. You would come because of me. I want you to come because of Jesus. Not because of me. Maybe I should badger more, but I don't. Because I just, that's not how I'm reached. If somebody badgers me, that's not going to help. If somebody loves me, shows true interest in me, that's a different ballgame. And so I just wonder, there's plenty of ways that we can be His witnesses. But first, we've got to be with Him. And that's where the, some of us are just... Don't even worry about how to be a witness because when you're with Jesus, you will be one. Amen. That's the awesome thing. It, it's not something we put on. I don't, I don't all of a sudden put on my witnessing cap, you know. <laughs> no, no, just if you're being yourself and you're in Christ, as Paul says, you won't have to put on anything but Christ. Again, when I preach, I'm talking to me primarily. Then you're overhearing this. I'm reminding myself... This is what God spoke to me while in India. And again, He spoke a lot of things more, but I haven't got the time to process that, so this is the only thing I whipped up. <laughs> he laid this, these words, this passage on my heart. I actually preached a message similar to this to the, to the people there, to the students there. And it was, it was a joy. Uh, but I just am reminded that there are people like these Pharisees who... Who we do this, we, we come and notice they don't even ask Jesus, they ask the disciples of Jesus. They, they don't even have the guts, the courage to ask Jesus Himself. And some of us, we, you may ask me, you may ask somebody else for help, but we won't go to Jesus. It's fascinating. He's the last person we'll ask about who we need to marry, about our job, about our children, about our shortcomings. We ask everybody else. We read everybody. We watch everything else. I gotta watch HTV. You know, I gotta do this or watch these. You know, shrinks, but not Jesus. Just ask. Just ask. He says, "Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will open." I believe that. <laughs> I've lived that in my own life. I've seen it happen. But you've got to be humble enough to ask. And in, in this city, in this place, in America, that's tough for us because we have so much that we can do it ourselves. That's a real danger. Real danger. We, we can't even pray, Lord, give me this day my daily bread because we have a superabundance. It's funny. Thomas Aquinas, from the medieval period, philosopher, he went to go see the Pope. <laughs> and I don't have the quote exactly, <clears throat> but the Pope says, you, he says, you remember, he told to Thomas, he says, you remember uh, where, where Peter says, silver and gold, have I none? He said, that's no longer the problem anymore. We have plenty now. Thomas Aquinas turned to him and said, Yes, and you've also lost the power to say, arise, get up, take up your bed, and walk out of here. In having money and material things, 
we lose the power because we don't need God. It's a ve- That's why Jesus says it is hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You may never thought yourself rich, but trust me, even the poor in our country are richer than many people who have ever lived on this planet. And so, um, you know, you figure coming back from a mission trip, people, you know, the guy's going to get up there and he's going to say, we have too much. And, you know, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be typical like that. But here's what I do want to say. India doesn't need money from us. They want to generate it themselves. This is what I heard. They want to do it themselves. They don't need us to throw money. Have we not learned yet in America that throwing money at stuff doesn't work? Throwing money at poor people doesn't work. Throwing money at problems doesn't work. People work. Amen. God is not just concerned with your money or your power in material things. Now, I, I love our church because when there's a need that arises, boom, we get, we get all kinds of stuff. I love it. It's great. But here's the thing. He wants your heart. He wants your life. First and foremost, that's what He can do the most with. That's why He died. Not for your money. He gave you your money. He gave you your position. He gave you your gifts. And every one of us, it's amazing, in this very room, all of us have gifts. And at Harvest Point, we want to develop those gifts over the next year. And I'm trying to think of some ways to be able to do that. But there's gifts of service. You see it in setting up. You see it in the sound and the music. You see it in the prayer life of certain people that pray for you every single week. You don't even know it, but they lift you up. You cannot say if you come to this church that nobody cares for you because they do. That's impossible. There's love here because Jesus is here and He's the one leading this church. <laughs> and so, so we're in good hands. We're in good hands. But He wants us to be a part of what He's doing here in Madison, in Huntsville, in Athens. He's doing some awesome things that we, we don't even understand. I don't even understand them. But He knows. And I, and I can't get into your circles of influence, but He's already there. Amen. If you'll just come alongside of Him in this work, He can use you to plant seeds. You don't have to push people and sell Jesus. I'm not into that. I'm not into selling Jesus. He's not a commodity. He's a person. So, you know, this has been a hodgepodge this morning, but it's based off this call of Matthew. Matthew follows Jesus. It's just that simple. He arises in faith and leaves his old life and follows Jesus and he immediately uses him to reach other people. So what people need you to be a Christian? Need you to really live out your faith? What people around you need that? There are some. He's placed you where you are for that very reason. You think it's just the work of missionaries or those... We think of missionaries as the front line, you know, the Navy SEALs of mission. And Billy Coppage, who was here a few weeks back, way back in seminary, he corrected me. I said, man, you're going to the front lines, dude. You're going to be in Africa, bro. It's unbelievable. I'm still left here in the States with people that don't care. Here you are with people who are dying and suffering. And He says, no, no, that's not the front lines. It's all the front lines. Wherever you are is the front lines of this battle, this war. He wants to use you where you work. In your family. I know family's tough. Trust me. Family's always tough. 
but it's worth saving. It's worth loving. He's worth it. He's the one who created family. Alright, so, many more things can be said, but the thing most needed today from you, just like in a proposal, is just to say yes. Just say yes. Yes to Jesus. Don't worry about all the stuff that comes behind it. Just believe in Him. I don't know what that looks like for you, or I'd spell it out. I know what it looks like for me. I don't know what it looks like for you. He'll tell you. Just ask. Just ask. So this morning, I want to I wanna challenge you to allow the next few moments before we leave to become this to, this to become a house of prayer. We've sung to God, we've prayed to God, we've recited the creed to God, we've heard from His Word. Now it's time to actually pray to Him. Now I gave you a minute and a half and some of you think, man, that's a long time. Not according to your full 24-hour day today. So I just wonder if we could give two minutes. As Rachel comes, she's going to play through to drown out any distractions that might, might make you look the other way. And I just want us to pray. Really pray to Jesus. I wish I could tell you more about what you need to do and how to... But you know, He's in here working. Follow His leading. Follow Him. He's calling you by name. Say yes. And He'll use you to be a witness, just like He did Matthew. Amen.